We're going to have church tonight, especially if the microphone keeps doing that. I'll tell you guys, that was fantastic. Well, you know, that just highlights something that I always run into at revivals. There's two things you have to contend with with revivals. There's this huge meal they feed you beforehand, and usually after that I go to sleep. But the preacher's not allowed. Now, if y'all go to sleep, I'm going to hit the symbol, so we'll take care of that one. The other thing is following groups like this. I guess folks just haven't learned yet that the best act is supposed to be last. But that's all right. I appreciate y'all opening for me tonight. But I'm a little bit disappointed, Marty. You could have played Freebird and I'd have been just fine. I want that played at my funeral, buddy, so y'all just get that one queued up. The other thing is, my little five-year-old was sitting there, Smitty, saying, Is he going to throw me a drumstick? So uh, anyway, next time, toss one out in the audience there. <laughs> Guys, it's been incredible to be with you already. I'll tell you, a packed house on a Sunday evening, nothing better than that. And I hope that before you leave here, you will be blessed. And the reason I know that uh, you already have been is I've been blessed, but I hope that you'll be blessed even more from the Word of God in spoken form rather than just in the song form. But guys, thank you so much for preparing our hearts for worship. We're going to be back in the book of Deuteronomy this morning. Back in the book of Deuteronomy. As I began this morning, I began in a message, the Ten Commandments or the Ten Suggestions. As I shared with you this morning, there are those that would like to take those Ten Commandments and say they're old, they're antiquated, they're irrelevant, and they're really just sort of guidelines, they're suggestions. They don't apply to me anymore, and I hope you haven't bought into that lie that is straight from the pit of hell because it's just not true. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So are His expectations for His children. Yes, He spoke those to His children back in 1500 B.C. to children of Israel. But they are relevant for us today right here in America. And if we don't get back to those basics, we're in trouble, folks. Because as I said this morning, hope and change or whatever it is that you want to call it will not come on the heels of a politician. They will not come through our government. They will not come from anyone or anywhere else except for God working in the hearts of His church. That's you and I, not a building. And so I hope that you took that message to heart and that you will begin to get back with me to the basics this week, learn those Ten Commandments, or at least refresh yourself in those Ten Commandments and do more than learn them and hear them, that you live them. That's the big problem these days. It's not that we're unchurched or irreligious, it's that we're insincere. We know these things, we know what we ought to be doing, we're just not doing it. So I hope that we will be revived this week, we will be reminded this week, we'll be renewed this week by the reading and the hearing of God's Word. The title of tonight's message, sort of on the heels of this morning, before we actually dig into the Ten Commandments themselves, sort of a message which has a title that I sort of hate, to be honest with you, but I hope it'll apply. It's Youth Night, so I picked one of the top two things that I hated it when my parents said. Now, the number one thing I hated when my parents said is when I said, why, and they said, because. And I'm thinking, Really? That is not a reason, but now that I'm a parent, it's a reason. Why, Daddy? Because. Because, you know, sometimes you're just too tired with youngins to say any more, and because ought to be enough. If I said so, that's the end of it. The other thing that I absolutely hated for my parents to say, it's for your own good. You ever heard that one? Well, doggone it, it might be, but it don't feel like it's for my own good. Because, you see, as a young person, I felt like what was for my own good is what I wanted. But you see, my parents were far smarter than I am, 
or at least that I was. But the older I get, the longer I live, the smarter my parents get. It's the truth. They really are. I thought they were speaking Greek back then. And folks, all y'all in the cool section in the back there, the young folks, listen, I know you think your parents are speaking a foreign language, but they do know what they're talking about. And one day when you're old and gray or old and bald like me, you'll believe that too. But one of the things I hated when they said was, it's for your own good. We've all heard it. And if you haven't, you will hear it at some point in your life, especially as young people, because your parents do have wisdom, experience, and knowledge that you just don't have. And you say, you know, I don't know if I'm going to listen to this guy or not, especially the young people, because how can he know what I'm going through? Listen, I've been where you haven't. These folks that are older than me have been where I haven't. It would pay us to listen and learn from their experiential knowledge and wisdom, especially when they say it's for your own good. You know, I have learned in my life that my parents just didn't tell me what to do just to get on my nerves, although I believed it with all my heart then. They didn't do it just to get on my nerves or just to be controlling or aggravating. They loved me. And so they gave me boundaries. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight in a message entitled, It's for Your Own Good. As I shared with the church this morning, keeping the commandments of God is not something He does for control. It's because it's for our own good. And the quicker we learn that as young people and adults, the better off we're going to be. Not just the Ten Commandments, but all of God's law and commands. We need to get back into the instruction book, learn it, and then do it knowing it's for our own good. You see, from the day we entered life, we had a job. Every one of you entered this world with a job to do, and if you do it well, the benefits are out of this world. It really is for your own good. But if you don't do it well, the discipline is not something you want to consider. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 10 tonight, so we're moving over just a few chapters from where we were in Deuteronomy 5 this morning. But in Deuteronomy 10, we find that job description. I just told you we all had a job when we entered the world. And that job really is pretty simple, is to please and glorify the Lord. But here's the job description as we read it in chapter 10 of Deuteronomy, verses 12 and 13. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes which I command thee this day for thy good. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you did not just throw us on this old ball of dirt and say, figure it out for yourselves. You gave us very clear instructions. And Father, we know that they are for our own benefit. They are for our own good. Just as our parents who love us have said so many times, I'm doing this for your own good. That is exactly what you are doing for us. And so, Father, I pray that we as your children, not just the young people in this room, but all of us as your children, no matter what age, will heed what you have to say tonight. That we will be reminded through your servant Moses in the book of Deuteronomy of what our job description is. And, Father, may we leave this place ready and willing to do our job better than ever before. Because, God, the truth is we've become complacent. The church universal is not rising up and standing for you as we should. As Smitty said earlier, God, it's one of those things where we can do real good on Sunday morning or when we're at church. But, Father, it's the rest of the week that we need to focus on. And I pray that you would speak to us so that we would leave better tools in your hands. And I pray it in the precious name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. 
As we look at this, just to bring you up to speed, written most likely by Moses, it is one of the three sermons that he preaches through the book of Deuteronomy. There is a new generation of Jews that has come out of Egypt, and this is not the original group. These were their kids. And they have forgotten the law, and they've begun to get real complacent, as I said we have as a church. And I'm not picking on Theresa. I'm talking about the church at large. If we, the church, would get away from that complacency, get out of our comfort zones, and begin to once again and be obedient to the laws that God has given us, the boundaries and His desires for our lives, things will change for the better and it will happen quickly. But he's reminding these children, hey, you've forgotten the law of God. So through the book of Deuteronomy, he preaches three messages and the second giving of the law, if you will. He reminds them of what matters. He gets them back to the basics. And he says, you better get back to the basics because that's what your job description says you need to do. And so it's a real simple message tonight. As he preaches to them, they are about to enter the promised land. They're about to walk right into what they have been searching for for 40 years, which, as I said this morning, is pretty interesting when you consider the fact that this should have been an 11-day journey. They should have left Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, and in 11 days they should have reached their destination in Canaan. And yet, for 40 years, because of disobedience, they had wandered in the wilderness. Moses has it on his heart to teach and to preach the Word again and to try to get them back to the basics. And he says to them, Hear Children of Israel, is your job description. What is it that the Lord thy God requires of you? Don't we want to know that? I mean, as Christians, honestly, y'all engage with me tonight. You were nodding your heads when they were singing. Don't you want to know what the Lord expects of you? You don't have to wonder. I hear it all the time. Preacher, I just don't know what the Lord wants me to do. Here it is. This doesn't cover all the details, but boy, this covers a lot. He says, this is what the Lord expects of you, and more than that, requires of you. It's the least he can ask of us. First of all, there is this fear the Lord your God. Fear the Lord your God. Do you realize that is one of the biggest problems in the church today? It's why we live one way on Sunday, brother, and we walk out of here and live differently because we have lost a glimpse of a holy God. Somehow we have made God small and ourselves bigger. We don't remember the fact that Jesus said, as we pray, we say, Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed means he is something special. And folks, if you've lost sight of the fact that God is not just something special, but he is the almighty sovereign of the universe, then you have lost the one thing that matters most. The beginning of all wisdom, the Bible says, is what? The fear of the Lord. So if you don't fear the Lord and understand who he is as the sovereign of the universe, you, as the Bible says, are a fool. You know, whoa, preacher, whoa. You're not supposed to call me a fool. The Bible says that too. I didn't say it. I'm not calling you a fool. The Bible says the beginning of real wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Now, does that mean that we're running around worried about some big grandfather in the sky that's going to squash us like a grape every time we mess up? Thank goodness, no. That's not what it means at all. The word from the Hebrew indicates we are to have a reverential awe for the Lord. And it's when we lose that reverential awe for the Lord and for God Almighty that we begin to make ourselves bigger and think that our plans might work out better. But let me tell you, every time you try it, you're going to fail. There's just two ways, yours and God's. You figure out which one is right. I've figured it out myself. I've been to the woodshed with the Lord and I don't want to go back. God's way works because He's God. How big is your God? Because mine won't fit in a box. He doesn't fit in this book. The universe itself doesn't contain the Lord I serve. And that is the beginning of wisdom. I hope you're there as well. We need, as John said, to diminish. We need to decrease. 
so that God might increase to his rightful spot in the universe as the sovereign king of all creation. That is the first part of your job description. As young people and as old people or older people. I'm not allowed to call you old people. That's not politically correct, right? I don't know what old is anymore. I was walking down the hall this morning. One of the kids said, I can't believe that preacher just slid down the steps on his butt with me. He's got to be at least 50. <laughs> well, first of all, if that young fellow's in here, I am not 50 yet. And second of all, I just figure growing up is optional. You know, we've got to take our responsibilities. That's mandatory. But growing up is optional. But this kid thought 50 was ancient and over the hill. 50 is the new 20, right? So I'm not calling you old. I'm just saying, I don't care if you're young or older. It doesn't matter. The beginning of your job description, starting today, if you haven't started yet, is to have a reverential fear and respect for an almighty and holy God, which means He's perfect. How many of you would say that, oh yeah, I'm one of those, I'm perfect. We're far from it, but God's not. Psalm 18.30 says, as for God, His way is perfect. And we need to get back to that fear and respect and reverence for a holy God. Second part of the job description falls right in line. It says, first of all, fear the Lord thy God and then walk in all His ways. Now, did you know that it didn't say walk in some of His ways? I love what one of you guys said earlier. I'm not even sure who said it. But it says, we need to quit trying to act like Christians. It was you, Brother Lee. He said, we need to stop trying to act like Christians and start to live like you. Well, that's priceless. That's a mouthful. That's profound. You ought to write that down somewhere and get credit for that, brother. That's what it's all about. we got a lot of talkers, but we don't have many walkers. Our churches are full of folks that can talk the talk. I could name one fellow for you right now that I'm telling you the truth. He knows the Scripture like nobody's business. He can quote it from front to back. But I'll tell you, if you watch his life, there is nothing Christian about it. He can talk it, sounds good, and can pray a prayer that sounds like the best prayer you've ever heard in your life. I mean, you just, just hear the angels fluttering around you when he's praying. But he's not walking the walk. Part of your job description is not to be a hypocrite. Boy, I love it. One of these things I get out in the public all the time when I say, look, come on to the church visit us sometime. Or at least go to some church and visit somebody. Preacher, I'm not going to one of them churches because it's full of hypocrites. Now, you know what I say. I say, well, there's always room for one more. <laughs> but beyond that, I'll tell him, listen, you don't have to worry about them hypocrites. God is going to ask you to give an account for your life one day. But do you realize you could be the reason that somebody doesn't come to church if you're not walking the walk? If you're not walking in all of God's ways, if you don't know His ways, you can't walk, first of all. That's why I said this morning, we need to learn this book. Don't just count on me or Herbert. This shouldn't be all you get. We're just your multivitamins. But you wouldn't live on a multivitamin in life, would you? You eat meals too, don't you? Go home and feast on the Word. Come get your multivitamin here at church. Learn the Word and then walk in it. But if you don't, you might be the reason that somebody doesn't come through those back doors. And even though they will not stand before the Lord and have an excuse, wouldn't you hate to think that their blood could be on your hands because of your hypocrisy and the fact that you're talking it but not walking it? Because if you go to church, you're wearing a banner on your back that says, I'm like Christ. And they figure, well, if that's how Christ is and that's how Christians are, I don't need no part of that. Folks, I can't live with that. Herbert, I appreciate you saying that I live what I teach and preach. I try. I fail just like the rest of them. That's why when I preach, I say we, not you. But I try because I understand the importance of walking in God's ways. 
Because if I don't, I might be the reason somebody doesn't come. I read a report years and years ago in a magazine called Christianity Today, and of course statistics can say whatever you'd like for them to say, but I think this one's pretty accurate. It said the number one reason people aren't in our churches today is because they know you're already here. God forbid that ever be said about any of us. Young people at school, you have no idea how much influence you have. You may think you're not the cool crowd, but the cool crowd are the people that's doing the right thing. You'll learn that soon enough in life. What I perceived to be the cool crowd in high school really didn't turn out to be the cool crowd. Those are the ones that are having the most trouble now. You've got a lot of influence if you will walk in the ways of the Lord. And you'd be surprised at how many people will want to know more about why your life is different. So the second part of our job description beyond fearing and respecting the Lord is to walk in His ways. And if we truly understand who He is, wouldn't we do that anyway? The third part of that job description follows right behind. It says to fear the Lord thy God and to walk in all His ways and to love Him. Seems like that ought to go without saying, but I'll tell you what, I know a lot of Christians who don't seem to love the Lord because they don't walk in His ways and they don't fear Him. You see, every time we act out in disobedience, that's a moment of temporary atheism. We're saying, I really don't believe who He said He was. I don't think He can do what He says He can do. I'm not going to walk that way because my way's better. You see, love doesn't do that. Love trusts. It believes and it does what is right in the eyes of the one who we supposedly love. You see, love is a verb. It's not just saying something, it's what we do. I can tell my wife I love her every single day, and I do, by the way. And folks, this ain't a marriage seminar, but fellas, I'll tell you, it goes a long way. You may think it goes without saying, but do not go without saying I love you. But let me tell you, whether you say it or not, and whether I say it or not, if I'm not acting it out and showing her through sacrificial living to make sure that her needs are met, even above those of my own, if you're not doing that, do they really believe what's coming out of your mouth? Truth is, love is nothing unless it's action. See, people hear what you do a lot louder than what you say. Do you really love the Lord tonight? Or are you here at church out of some sense of obligation? Did you come to be entertained or did you come to worship? Only you and the Lord know your heart, but you do know. You know why you serve. Is it to gain some better social standing in the community? Is it to get your spiritual fix and feel better about yourself when you go throughout your week? You need to answer that question in your own heart because true love serves and loves and acts because it cannot help but to do anything less. So the third part of your job description is to love the Lord. And again, it seems like that would go without saying, but I don't see people loving the Lord as much as we used to. And that's why we're in the condition we are. The fourth part of your job description, as it goes on to say, is to serve the Lord thy God. Service is a big part of love. I just made that clear. They go hand in hand. If you love, then you'll serve. Let me just ask you this, and I want you to get involved. I want to know that you're still awake or I'm getting ready to hit the symbol, okay? All right, so I want some nodding heads, some yes, some hallelujahs or something. Let, let me just ask you real clearly. Do you feel like God deserves your service? Really, do you? Now, come on, it's okay. I know we're in church, but you can, you can engage. It's all right. I need to know you're alive out there. Do you feel like He deserves our service? 
Well, let me see. Let me ask you this. Do you feel like you can serve him enough to pay him back for what he did? Do you think you can serve him enough to even say thank you for what he did? Not really. Do you think I can be as good as basketball as Michael Jordan? Garrett, did you say no? You've seen me play basketball, boy. He knows I can sky on somebody. Look, I've never touched a rim except for when I fell off the bleachers. It's the truth. <laughs> Look, you say, where's he going with this? He's running rabbits. Jeff told me earlier, don't ramble now. I'm not rambling, Jeff. I'm making a point. You see, I'll never be Michael Jordan, but when I'm on the basketball court, I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to aspire to be Air Jordan. I'm already halfway there on the haircut. I told you that this morning. I will never be a great basketball player, but when I'm out there, I'm going to give it my all. I will never serve the Lord enough to even say thank you, much less to pay Him back. But I love Him so much I can't help but to serve Him. People tell me all the time, Preacher, you need to slow down and get some rest. Look, I have got an eternity to rest once I die. Right now, there's stuff to be done and there's people busting hell wide open because somebody's not telling them about the Lord. You better get busy serving them because you might be the only Jesus they ever meet. And let me tell you this too. It is an eternal truth and I don't think that's true at, here at Theresa. It's not at Antioch. But in most churches, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That's sad, folks. And I hope that's not true here. And if it is, it's your job to fix it, not the person beside you. We're all supposed to be using our gifts to serve the Lord. That's why He gave them to you. And that old adage, if you don't lose it, use it, you'll lose it, is true. Get busy serving the Lord. If you love Him, why wouldn't you? And I'll go ahead and throw a little, another little marriage plug in. Do that at home too, because if you love Him, you will. Alright? Next part of our job description finds itself down in verse 13. So, so far we've learned... That God requires of us in our job to fear Him, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, and to serve Him. And then it says, with all your heart and soul. Not just a little bit. He don't want your leftovers. But then in verse 13, the fifth part of our job description, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes which I command thee this day. Again, if we understand who He is, have a reverential fear and respect of God, we will serve Him, we will love Him, we will walk in His ways, and we will keep His commandments right back where we began this morning. And that doesn't mean just the Ten Commandments. In this context, Moses is saying, here are the Ten Commandments once again, guys, and you better get back to them. But in our perspective, on this side of the cross, we need to get into this book and learn everything we can about who Jesus was, who God is, and we need to begin to live those things out. All the commandments, not just Ten. I'm just giving you ten this week because I think that's just where we need to start. And those ten cover a lot of ground. But we need to keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes which He commands you this day. Why? What does it say there? Because it will make you feel good. Or because God will give you more stuff. That's not what it says. For your good. That word in the Hebrew translates to benefit. How many of you like the idea of where you work and having benefits? I mean, really, it's okay. Raise your hand. You like the idea of benefits? I mean, these days, insurance is worth more than a paycheck. Now, let's be real. None of us' health is perfect in, in any stretch, and we're going to need a doctor at some point. And it only takes one illness to put you in the poorhouse. 
Really, we need insurance. We need those fringe benefits. Years ago, as, as Herbert shared this morning, I worked for the VA hospital for the federal government. Please don't hold that against me, but I did. And I love my veterans. I love serving the government. But I'm going to be honest with you. I enjoyed getting a paycheck. But beyond that, I love the fact that I got vacation time. Sick time, vacation time. I had good health benefits. When my first child was born, he cost me five bucks. And Noah, you are worth far more than that, son. But it cost five bucks to confirm that my wife was pregnant. You know, darndest thing, I knew she was anyway. Because she was getting up sick every morning and doggone this thing, I got sick too. Now that's just not right. I just told you I worked in a hospital. I knew that it made no sense. It made me plumb mad that I got sick too. She's saying quit whining. But you know, it, we knew she was pregnant, but we went ahead and paid $5 for some professional to confirm it. And that was it. It was a good benefit. From then on, we paid nothing else. Man, just to have a youngin' these days, you've got to take out a small-term loan if you don't have insurance. Benefits matter. And young people, you may not understand that from a job perspective these days, but you like benefits too. When you're at home, you expect to eat, right? You expect to have a TV and a little bit of something to drink here and there. You know, Mountain Dew, Monster, whatever is your poison of the day. And you expect the benefit of video games and DVDs and Blu-rays and all that, right? Those are benefits. And it's nice to have them. But let me tell you something. If you like benefits, then get a hold of your job description and do it well. And let me tell you, the benefits that he's talking about here are literally out of this world. Because the real benefit is that you'll spend eternity with the Lord. Folks, if you have not caught that in any church service ever in your life, the most important decision you will ever make in your life is to make the Lord your God. Not money, not cars, not stuff, not family, not houses or anything else, but the most important decision you will make is to make the Lord your God. Not just any Lord, but the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one. Now he said, I am the way, the truth, and the light, and no man comes to the Father except through me. And until you make that decision, you haven't even begun living. And young people, I hope you're hearing me, and even maybe somebody in here that's not a young person anymore that hasn't made that choice. But until you understand to fear the Lord your God and make Him yours, nothing else matters. But if you'll get that part, you've got eternal glory to enjoy. And then there are other benefits that chapter 11, and we won't go through those individually, but I encourage you to read up behind me. Make sure I'm not fibbing to you. I promise I'm not. But some of the benefits to be found in chapter 11 is that you will get long life as you love and serve and respect and fear and walk in the Lord's ways. Long life. How many of you guys want to live a good long life? I do. I do. I hope I am still around aggravating somebody at 100 years old. I do. I cannot imagine what I'm going to look like at 100. I mean, I've seen a lot of changes because of gravity just in the last five years. So when I'm 100, God knows what I'll look like. But I hope I'm here aggravating somebody and making somebody's eyes hurt. I really do. I want to live a long time. You know, I read about this lady up in Norway last year. She lived to be 116 years old. And she was just as spry as a teenager. And the interviewer that was doing this article, he said, Ma'am, how in the world did you live to be 116? She grinned at him. She said, I just kept breathing. <laughs> Easy as that. 
But let me tell you something. She might have thought that's why she lived so long, but she was making light of it. This woman was a Christian. She loved the Lord. She served the Lord. She kept His commandments. She was doing those things that were required, and she was getting the benefit of it. Now, does that mean you're all going to live to 116? No. But it will prolong your days, and I'm not making that up. The Scripture says it, folks. And I don't know about you, I want to be around as long as I can to serve Him and say I love you until I can get home and tell Him face to face. I hope you feel the same. Not only that, he promises in chapter 11 of Deuteronomy that if you'll do these things, if you will do your job well, one of the other benefits is protection. And that's from all the enemies that might come up against you. And these days we need it, folks. We live in a dangerous time, especially as Christians. And it may cost you something dear, maybe even your life, to do these things. But if you will do it, God will protect you until that day which He sees fit to take you home which again is the greatest benefit. Not only that, chapter 11 says there will be provision. As I said earlier, you folks love to eat. I mean, y'all about as bad as Antioch. Every time I've been here, I've eaten. Every single time. I will tell you though, as long as you will keep feeding me those Krispy Kreme donuts, I'll preach as long as you want. Uh, we went on a men's retreat a couple of years ago and drove an hour and 15 minutes just to get me a Krispy Kreme donut. So y'all just went right to my heart with that. But we love to eat. Where do you think that comes from? It ain't Food Line. It ain't Walmart. We cannot make food. Do you understand that? It is through God's provision that we have anything to eat or clean water. With all our technology, how many of you know how to make it rain? There ain't been a scientist yet that could do it. Even if they can figure out how to send a rocket up there and bust a cloud wide open, it's God's cloud. But God promises you provision. In Matthew 5 and 6, He says, don't even worry about that. If you do what I want you to do, you're going to eat just like the birds. And you're going to be clothed just like the lilies of the field. Matter of fact, you'll be better arrayed than even King Solomon. He says, I don't want you to worry about your provision because if you're doing your job right, I'll take care of that. Now, I don't know about you guys, but protection, long life, and provision, those are some pretty good benefits, aren't they? It doesn't stop there. The benefit package just gets better. Way better than the government. Listen to this. John 14, 16 says that I'll give you comfort. Any of you need a little comfort tonight? Some of these songs were being sung, and I really couldn't see a lot of folks behind me, but the folks I could get my eyeballs on, I saw tears. Because some of the words that you guys were singing tonight were touching hearts and offering comfort, reminding them that the Lord loved them in difficult times. And thank you so much for that. Had a few tears myself a time or two. But we need comfort, and it can only be found in one who is strong enough to take care of all of our issues. John 14, 16 says, I'll give you that comfort if you do your part and love me like you ought to. If we do our job, that's not all. Every detail of your life will be taken care of. Do you hear me? That sounds good, doesn't it? That's a benefit that you can't buy. We sing a song out at Antioch, and I love it. And I've shared it the truth of it with lots of people in difficult times. God said you're going to make it. I don't care how bad things are, how big your problems are, God's bigger. And if you're doing your job, according to Matthew 6.33, if you're seeking God and His righteousness and His kingdom first, all the other things are taken care of. Now listen, I realize that's a loose translation. That's the New King David version, and I'm talking about me. But it says that, folks. Listen, if you will do things God's way, He's going to take care of your needs and all the details of life. We get so hung up in that stuff. 
We spend a lot of our lives worrying. We spend a lot of time taking life from ourselves by worrying. And which one of you, by worrying, has ever accomplished anything? Now, don't get me wrong. We have human responsibility. We need to be sensible and use our brains for something more than just to hold what little hair we might have. Okay? Seriously, we've got to think. We've got to use our minds. But on the other hand, worrying is not in God's vocabulary. If we truly have a reverential awe and understanding of an almighty God, you don't have nothing to worry about. Really, because nothing's bigger than him. And I love this last one I'm going to share with you. Do you realize not only will you be provided your needs, a lot of the things you want can be provided too if you're faithful to the Lord. If you will take this job description as Moses gave it to the children of Israel, graft it into your life and do your job well, Psalm 37, 4 says he'll even give you the desires, the delights of your heart. Don't get me wrong, I'm not preaching some prosperity gospel. I'm not saying that if you name it, you can claim it, and you're going to get two or three Cadillacs or two or three new trucks or bass trackers or anything of the sort. I'm just telling you that if you want it, and God can trust you to use it in His service and to His glory, and you're living for Him, He will even give you some of the things you want. I'm living proof of that. Now, I don't want to get to bragging. I'm not trying to do that at all. I have always wanted a tractor. Listen, I was born and raised here in Person County, and just it's part of growing up. You just got to have a tractor. My dad had one. I could use it any time I wanted to, but you know, it just wasn't mine, you know? It wasn't one I could break and have to work on all the time. So I left the VA thinking, well, going full-time ministry, I'll never have one now. They sent me a check in the mail for the vacation time I didn't use, and I went over to Bobby Painter over in Danville and got me the prettiest blue tractor you ever seen. Even got a front end loader on it, and I'm telling you, there's no time in my life I'm any happier when I'm out there smelling that diesel coming right up in my face, bush hogging somebody else's field that don't even belong to me. Because <laughs> I really don't have one big enough to use it on myself. <laughs> Maybe a silly story to you, but that tractor means something to me. I call it Babe the Blue Ox. If you know Paul Bunyan, you know why I named it that. I love some Paul Bunyan. But nonetheless, it was a desire. I didn't need that tractor a bit more than I needed a hat to cover my hair. I didn't. But I love the Lord, and He let me have a desire in my heart. So let's look at that benefits package again. If we will fear the Lord, walk in His ways, love Him, serve Him, keep His commandments, it's going to be to our benefit. It's going to be for our own good.